join me there in uh, 1 John 1, if you've got a Bible there close by, one on your phone or tablet. Not, there's one in the back of the pew in front of you. Join me in 1 John. 1 John's near the end of the New Testament. 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Jude, and Revelation. So it's the fifth book from the end. And uh, we're in the first chapter of 1 John. First part, in, uh, last part of chapter 1, the first part of chapter 2. So love for you to do that. You've used the word atonement lately outside of church, maybe? Atonement? No? Probably not? When your children disobey this week? Maybe. And you said to your child, our relationship isn't what it ought to be. We need to make atonement. You didn't say that to one of your kids this week? <clears throat> the relationship is not what it was, not what I want it to be because of your transgression. There needs to be atonement. There needs to be, there needs to be something done in order, to, in order to make the relationship what it, what it ought to be. probably didn't use that kind of language. You probably use it, use some other, some other kind of language. I don't know. Talking about relationship, talking about disobedience, talking about rebellion or whatever it is. <clears throat> atonement is, is like most of the other words we've used in this series. Holiness, we don't use that a whole lot. Covenant, not so much. <clears throat> Glory, we use glory some maybe, but again, most of the time we, we don't, these are, these are Bible kind of words. These are, these are words we use here at church, and maybe we don't even fully understand what they mean so much because they are, they are theological kind of words, and we don't think about the implications of them. What we're trying to do in this short series, concluding it today, is to help us to tie this story together, this grand narrative of Scripture from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, using some themes that permeate Scripture uh, throughout, all the, way, all the way through. And we've, we've talked about the glory of God, and we've talked about the holiness of, of God. We've talked about the covenant that God makes with His people, and, and today we're going to look at atonement. We're, I think it's important, and, and you know this if you've been here for a while, that this is important, not, not that... Not that I'm the only one that emphasizes this sort of thing, but I think it's important for Christians to have a pretty good working knowledge of the story of Scripture and not just being able to mention a verse here or there and not, not, not just being able to <coughs> maybe understand the New Testament fairly well. I, I think it's important to, to fit it all together because it helps us to understand what God is doing in the world and helps us to find our place in God's story if we understand God's story, then we're able to under, understand how our little story, how God is incorporating our little story into His big story. And so that's what we believe is important as Christians, and that's the purpose of this series, looking at it from different vantage points. A lot of times when you look at something, you look at it you know, straight on, you look at it from one angle, and you, you get certain, certain clues. You may have a, a decent understanding of it, but if you take that same object, object and if it's something you really want to understand, you... You hold it and you look at it and you think, you know, that's pretty cool. I like that. And then you, you kind of turn it around and you, you hold it out here and you look at it. And you, oh, wow, I didn't see that. And then you kind of twist it and turn it and you look at it. And you know, wow, you know, the more, the more I study this thing, the, the more beautiful it is. And the more I realize it's got all these nuances and these colors and these shapes. And, size, and it's just, just an amazing thing. I think the Bible's like that. Uh, the Bible story's like that. You, you look at it and you're... You're amazed by it, and then you, you look at it from a different vantage point. So that's, that's the purpose of this. That's why we're doing it. So atonement, what does it mean? Atonement. In fact, that's, that's where I want to start. What, what in the world? What in the world does atonement mean? 
There's, like most things, there's a lot of theological debate about atonement. Maybe more, more than a lot of other things. There's a lot of debate about atonement. What exactly does it, does it mean? So we'll explore some of that throughout today. But I want you to know this, and I alluded to this earlier. I want you to know that one of the root words, one of the root meanings of atonement is covering. In fact, some scholars suggest that really a better translation of the word, the Hebrew word in the Old Testament for this, better translation than atonement or, or propitiation, we'll look at that in a minute from 1 John 2, better translation might be actually just, just to do it kind of literally and, and use the word covering. By the way, as we go through this idea of atonement today, there's, there are a couple of words that you might be familiar with. One is the word kippur. Have you ever heard of that word before? Uh, it is... Like, in English, K-I-P-P-U-R. Yom, Yom Kippur, you ever heard of that? Day of Atonement, heard of that? Leviticus 16. If you look on your calendar, if you have a calendar that lists holidays of the Christian religion, holidays of you know, the, the Jewish faith and so on, one of the Jewish holidays will be Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement. It's mentioned in Leviticus 16, and that word Kippur is atonement. And it, it has to do with has a lot of nuances, but it has to do with covering. So you think about what that means for us religiously, like covering. We'll, we'll circle around this several times today and come back to it in 1 John 2, but that, that idea of covering, you, you can kind of see, if you're fairly familiar with the Christian faith, you can kind of see how the idea of covering might have something to do with our sins and our treachery and our rebellion and our being traitors against God, right? This idea of covering. So we'll circle back to that as we go through this story today. The problem that we have, you can call it different things. Bible often calls it sin, the sin problem. That's, that's the problem we've got. And uh, you go back to Genesis 3, and, and you read the story there of Adam and Eve. You read that story lately? Adam and Eve, we alluded to it throughout this series because it's so foundational to understanding the story of Scripture. But you got the story there where God had created Adam and Eve, and He told them, you can, you, know, you can eat of any tree in the garden except for the one, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is in the center of the garden. You can't eat of it. The day that you eat of it, you'll die. So it's pretty clear, in order for them to live within God's fear of His reign, they, they needed to submit to His leadership. And really what Genesis 3, eating the fruit, uh, Eve did, gave to Adam, and he ate, you know, this whole story. Really the, the root of that story is, are we going to live according to what God wants, are we going to let God be king, or are we going to try to put ourselves on the throne to be king instead of God? That's, that's really what it's all about. Who's going to be God? You going to be God? You and I aren't very good gods. We're not good at it. But we want to be God. We, want to be, we don't have to be everybody else's God, but we want to be our own God. You know, I want to be the one who makes my own decisions. That's what Genesis 3 is about. So Adam and Eve made the choice that they, that they did. And they decided, hey, you know, we want to be like God. That's what Satan said. You, you can eat of this fruit and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And so Eve decided, yeah, I'd like to be God. Adam decided, yeah, I'd like to be God. Everybody who's lived since then, except for Jesus Christ, every one of us has made that same decision. I want to be my own God. I want to, I want to do things my own way. I want, to, I want to make my own decisions, determine my own truth. I want to determine my own right, my own wrong. I want to do it my way and not God's way, not anybody else's way. That's really the story of Scripture is this, this whole story of choosing, of our choosing to rebel against our Creator, not to live the way God wanted us to live, to do things our way. That's, that's the Bible calls it sin, transgression, rebellion, being a traitor, distorting God's image in us. You know, lots of, lots of different metaphors to describe it, but that's the gist of it. We have a sin problem. What, what results from that sin problem? <clears throat> Did you look, you remember the story in Genesis 3? Adam and Eve did what they did. 
And God came and he said to the serpent, you know, bad things are going to happen. <clears throat> he talks to Eve and he says, you know, this is going to happen. Childbirth is going to be a nightmare. And it's going to be relational problems. And all sorts of Adam, the dust of the earth, you know, it's going to be, I mean, not the dust of the earth, the, uh, the, the tilling of the earth is going to produce weeds and thorns and thistles. It's going to be rough. Things are going to be bad. But the most important thing in that whole story is that because you choose to be your own God, I'm going to let you receive the consequences of your making that choice, and there's going to be a problem between God and humanity. Because humanity, when we choose to rebel against our Creator, we're at odds with Him. So in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve are removed from this paradise where they live. They are separated from God. And it's, that separation from God is, is portrayed in their being kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And for the rest of the Old Testament, you've got this, this story of separation from God. You can't be with God. Remember all these stories in the Old Testament like clean and unclean. You eat this kind of food. You don't eat that kind of food. You can't get too close to God. All of these are different ways of communicating this idea that something's not right. We're not right with God. He created us to be in fellowship with Him. And now something's gone terribly, horribly wrong. Sin. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. Isaiah puts it like this. <clears throat> your sins, what we've been saying, your sins have separated you between you and your God. So we've got this problem. We're, we're at a distance from God. We can't get too close to God. And you see that portrayed often in the Old Testament of what God is doing in order to bring us back to Him. Remember this, uh, we looked at this some before, but this tabernacle, remember the tabernacle in the Old Testament? This building that God instructed the people to build. You build it according to this dimensions out of these particular uh, articles. And, 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 and this is the way it's going to be shaped. This is, these are the sizes, dimensions of it, and all this. And it's going to be in the center of the camp. In the center of the camp. And then the smoke comes down and God lives there in the center of the camp. But you can't get too close to that. I mean, you can, if you're just a normal person, you can come around the perimeter of it. You'll be all right. If you're a priest, you can come in the outer room. You'll be all right if you, if you do things the right way. If you're a high priest, you can come in that inner room once a year on a certain day. Having made certain preparations, you're the high priest. You can come in there. If you do all this right, you'll be all right. But anybody else comes in that outer place who's not a priest, you're not going to be all right. If you come in that inner sanctum and you're not the high priest on a certain day, you're not going to be all right. What's the problem? Because God is there, and you and I, there's a distance. God wants to be with us, though. He wants to be with us. So God is, God, the story of the Bible is about what God is doing in order to bring us back to Him, right? In order to, we're going to make our way to 1 John 1. But I want you to see the backstory here. This is most important to understand what John is talking about in the first couple of chapters of his book. All right? So understand the backstory. So you've got this whole problem started in Genesis 3 with Adam and Eve, but it's perpetuated by every person born into the world. We make the same choice. I want to be my own God. I'm going to do it my way. We're separated from God. God comes to live in our midst, but we can't get too close to Him. So God does certain things in order to bridge that gap, in order to bring us closer to Him. Key word here in the Old Testament is the word blood. You notice this? <clears throat> Most people don't sit down and read Leviticus for fun. Uh, because it's, 
it's not a, not a, unless you, unless you, a little bit different, Leviticus isn't a great fun book to read because it's tedious and a lot of it's just kind of not very clear. <clears throat> a lot of blood in the book. A lot of sacrifices in the book. Not just in that book, in Exodus and other books in the Old Testament. You, you read a lot about blood, right? You got the, Leviticus talks about all these different sacrifices. Some of them aren't blood sacrifices. Some of them are grain sacrifices or whatever, but, but a lot of them are blood. You take two turtle doves, you take a pigeon, you take a lamb, you take a bull, you take a ram, and you kill it. And you can imagine what that would have been like, that tabernacle at the center of the camp. has got the altar outside, and you bring your animal there, you take your knife, you cut the throat of that animal, the blood runs down, you give it to the priest, the priest lets all the blood dump down in a pan, and then he puts the animal up there, on the, depending on what kind of sacrifice it is, puts it up there on the altar and burns, and sometimes he burns the whole thing, sometimes he cuts off part of it, but it's just a, I mean, it's a very, you read Leviticus, you know, read it, and you think about what it would have been like, it would have been a very visceral, you know, smelly, the sounds of animals dying, the smell of blood, the sight. I don't know how you do with blood, but if you're not good with seeing blood, you would have had a hard time. You would have had a hard time in the Old Testament, right? Blood all over the place. Leviticus 17.11 says this. You, you ask, why in the world is it like this? Why did God do it like this? Leviticus 17.11 says, the life of the flesh is in the blood. God is wanting to communicate to His people that because of our rebellion against Him, this is important, because of our rebellion against Him, there's distance between us and Him. The relationship has been distorted, has been marred, has been broken. And in order for us to be in fellowship with God, we need to understand that that rebellion brings consequences, that sin brings about consequences. And, and sin has an effect on life. And so in order for there to be reconciliation of any kind, there needed, according to God's system, God's nature, there needed to be the cessation of life. And so the blood being shed was a very visceral, it was a very, uh, you know, <clears throat> thought-provoking, I don't know, you see things die, it makes an impression on you. Can you imagine what this would have been like? Killing these animals, bringing the blood, seeing all the blood, smelling the blood, hearing the cries. I mean, all this stuff going on. This, the life of the flesh in the blood, these sacrifices being offered. And God is helping His people to see that your rebellion brings about consequences. There's a separation between us. There's a, a broken relationship. And in order for that relationship to be reconciled, there needs to be the shedding of blood. Now, that brings us... To First John. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> there's a lot more in the Old Testament, you know, that has to do with this idea. It's all over the place. One thing I, I wanted to I wanted to mention about the tabernacle, you know, about the sacrifices and all the blood, is that there were different points in, in that progression as you got closer to God, as you got closer to that inner room. Like if you committed a sin, for example, the blood would be shed and the blood would be sprinkled on that altar outside the tabernacle. If it was a bigger kind of sin, like the sin of a tribe against another tribe, involving multiple people in conflict and sinning against one another, then you would go inside the tabernacle and you would sprinkle the blood in that room. 
If it involved the sin of the high priest, who was the representative of the people, the high priest being, you know, acting on behalf of the people, if he sinned and needed to make atonement, he would bring blood inside that inner sanctum. The worse the sin was, the closer you needed to be to God in order to make atonement for it. Interesting, all this stuff there in the Old Testament. But what if, what if God wants to reconcile humanity fully to Himself? See, all those sacrifices, all those, all those blood sacrifices in the Old Testament, they were reminded, Hebrews brings this out a lot, but they were reminded that every time they offered a sacrifice, they were going to sin again. That, that animal sacrifice could not take it could not take the guilt away. It could not take the sin away. At best, it was a temporary provision for their rebellion. But it could not do away with their sin. And so they would come back the next day. And they'd come back the next Saturday. They'd come back the next Passover. They'd come back the next Day of Atonement. They would come back again and again and again. Thousands upon thousands of animals being killed in order to temporarily restore, and I don't even like that language because I don't think it fully restore, but to temporarily bring people into a, a, a relationship with God once again. But what if, what if God wants to fully bridge that separation? If God wants to bring us all the way back to Himself. Look at our text, 1 John 1. John is dealing with sin here. Remember that sin problem we talked about? Verse 7, the text where Joel started reading a few minutes ago, if we walk in the light. Talking about this sin issue, you know. This, is a, this theme permeates Scripture. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Notice the verbs here, okay. The blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us. Cleanses or purifies removes impurities, removes defilements. He cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just. Here it is again, or another verb. He is faithful and just to forgive us. Literally, forgive means to send away, to remit, to, to get rid of. And then he says, and to cleanse us. There it is again. So his blood cleanses us. It forgives us. And again, it cleanses us from all unrighteousness. If we say we haven't sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. One of the worst things we can do in our relationship to God is act as if we haven't violated the conditions of our relationship with him. We haven't sinned against him. We haven't rebelled against him. You can't ever be purified if you first don't recognize you're at fault for the broken relationship. So John says, you know, you, 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 can't, you can't get anywhere if you don't acknowledge it. Okay, chapter 2. Look at this. This is important stuff here. This is big, this is big stuff. Latter part of verse 2. If anyone does sin. All right, so we, we've gotten to a point. I, we have sinned, Lord. We have rebelled against you. We are traitors. We have distorted your work in the world. If anyone does sin, two big words here. The second one is on your screen, but the first one is this. We have an advocate. We have, <clears throat> this is used in other places. We have a, you ever heard the transliteration of this word? You ever heard paraclete before? Paraclete, I mean, the root words are to call beside. 
We have an advocate. We have someone. Can't always do this with root words, you know, but we have an advocate. We've got somebody, Jesus Christ, who comes along beside us. He comes along beside us. I mean, I think that's a pretty cool picture of what it's going to be like when we stand before God in judgment. If you stand there alone, you don't have any hope. You stand there before God and you say, well, look, let me, let me make my case, okay? First of all, I was a pretty good person. It's pretty good. I mean, I didn't kill anybody. I didn't commit any of the really bad stuff. I did a lot of good stuff. I went to church, you know. I, I gave a lot of money to the poor. If you stand there and you make your own case, you, you, don't, have any, you don't have any hope. You don't have any hope because you don't have a case to make. Look at, look at my record, Lord. And you don't want him to look at your record. <clears throat> it's the last thing you want him to do. I don't know if this is accurate completely or not, but I envision it like this in my mind at least. I don't know if we can I understand exactly what judgment day is going to be like. But in my mind, based on this word and some other verses, I, I like to think of it like this. I come to the throne of God on judgment day. I don't come, I don't come, uh, what's the right word? Like, I don't come there with a cocky attitude, with a, a prideful spirit. I don't think you'll be like that. I don't think any of us will be like the presence of God. But I believe we can come there confidently. Why? Because he's standing right there. And what he's saying, if I begin making my case, Lord, please, first of all, listen, I did a lot of good stuff. Here's, here's the stuff I did. I know I did some bad stuff, but it wasn't that bad. And I did outdid it with the good stuff, you know, all this. Jesus is going to step in. And he's going to say, don't, don't look at his record. Don't look at Chuck's record. Don't look at your record, the good and the bad. Don't, don't look at all that. Look at mine. What's happening is, if I understand this right, what's happening is he's covering up my record by presenting his. And the way that you and I can approach that day confidently and knowing the verdict we're going to receive, that verdict is you're forgiven, you are justified, you are invited into the everlasting kingdom of my dear son, God's going to say, I invite you in based on the fact that you hid yourself in the record of Jesus Christ and that He covered your, He atoned for, He atoned for your record, your bad record. He atoned for that. His blood was shed. That's, in, that's embedded in the next word. But He's our advocate. He stands beside us. He comes beside us. He pleads our case, as it were. His record is presented instead of my own, instead of yours. And God says, you're innocent. Not because through our own record we're innocent, but because our guilt is covered up, is atoned for by Christ. Now, that word atonement, by the way, again, a word we don't use a lot, but you can, you might think of it like this. I think I learned this. I heard this recently, but I think I heard it when I was a kid. <clears throat> atonement, one way of looking at it is breaking it up into the, the kind of the three roots, if you will. Especially important of the first two. At one meant. What does atonement mean? At one meant. 
at one minute. We are at a distance. We're not one. God and we are not one because of our rebellion. But what happens when we are atoned for? We are at one again with God. That's what atonement means. Now this word propitiation, I mentioned the word advocate. Second word will be done. Verse 2, he is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Propitiation. I can almost guarantee you, you didn't use a propitiation this last week. Did you? Propitiation. What in the world? That's why some translations change it a little bit. Because nobody knows what propitiation is. None of us know what propitiation is unless we've had some reason to study it in the church. So some translations change it too. And you may have one of these. I think the NIV does this. Atoning sacrifice. Something like that. Atoning sacrifice. That's probably better. Because I don't know what propitiation is. I kind of know what an atoning sacrifice is. That kind of gets closer to it. Atoning sacrifice. And so if that's right, if it is a propitiation, some might put it, there's another big word, nobody knows what it means, expiation. That's the way, that's the way some people put it. <clears throat> I like atoning sacrifice here, though, because it helps me get closer to what I think what God is doing, what God is trying to communicate through John here. And that is this. We have an advocate with the Father. We're going to get there. God's, Jesus is going to plead our case. He's going to say, he's one of mine. He's one of mine. He's in me. He's in my church. He's in my body. He's in me. One of mine. He's going to plead my case. He's going to plead your case if you're in him. He's going to plead your case based on what? I already got ahead of myself and said this earlier, but based on what? What's he going to plead it on? What's his argument? What's the record? Propitiation, atoning sacrifice. He's going to point not to that time you lied, not to that time you committed adultery, not to that time you gossiped, not to that slander, not to that lust. He's not going to point, point to the bad. He's not even going to point to all the good things that you did. He's going to point back to the cross. How is he going to be my advocate? He's my advocate. He's your advocate because he is our atoning sacrifice. He's going to point to the cross and he's going to say that relationship between Chuck or between you or whatever, between this person and God, he's going to point to the cross and he's going to say, at that moment, my blood was shed. My life, the life of the flesh is in the blood. My life was poured out on the ground. So that his record would be covered. So that his sins would be forgotten. So there'd be all sorts of biblical images blotted out, removed as far as the east is from the west, thrown into the depths of the sea. The Bible talks about this a lot, but, but just of it being your sins and my sins have been atoned for. They have been They've been covered up. They've been covered up. And what happens is Jesus stands in my place and because of the cross, because of his pouring out his life, God poured out his own life as an offering so that we could stand before him not having to be ashamed of our record but rather being, being consumed by, subsumed within the life and death and record of Jesus Christ. 
He's the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice. That's where all this story comes. That's where, that's where it ends. That's where it was always heading. That's, way, that's the reason when you read the Old Testament and you read about the sacrifices and you read about the rebellion, the treachery and all this stuff, you read about the tabernacle, what God is doing, the distance, the clean and unclean, all this stuff in the Old Testament, you think, what in the world does this have to do with me? You know, what does this mean? I don't understand at all. I want you to understand at least this. <clears throat> all this stuff, it's a record so that God would establish a relationship with his covenant people that he might then one day fully bring about restoration and reconciliation through the atoning sacrifice of God. Not an animal, but God himself who robed himself in human flesh so that he might shed his innocent, sinless blood so that he could be our advocate, so that he could stand beside us before us, even in substitute, in substituting himself for us so that we might be granted full reconciliation to the one who created us. That's the story. At least that's another way of talking about the story of Scripture, what God is doing. So, so let me close by asking a couple questions. Where are you and where are you and God these days? Where are you and God? Where are we and God? We've all done what Adam and Eve did. We've all, we've all taken our fists and put them in God's face, as it were, and said, I'm going to be my own God. I'm going to do it my way because I don't like your way. I think I can make better decisions. I want, to, I want to establish my own truth, my own right, my own wrong. I want to do it my way, God. We've all done that. So that's not really the question I'm asking you. The question is, have you... Have you put yourself, have you submitted to God so that he might put you into Christ? Because the question isn't, are, are, are we going to stand before God one of these days? We are. That's not the question. The only question is, when we stand before God, are we going to be standing there with Christ beside us? Or are we going to be standing there based on our own record? That's the choice we've got. So are you atoned for have you submitted to the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ? Have you given yourself to him and received full forgiveness of everything you've ever done, ever will do? I hope that if you're not a Christian, one who hasn't submitted yourself fully to Jesus Christ yet, that you'll, that you'll do that, that you'll open your heart to what God is doing in your life. Submit to him in baptism as you turn toward him. and it means turning away from your sin. It means identifying with him in confession and baptism is blood washes your sins away. He atones for you. He covers your sins up and he opens this pathway so that you may have full access to the one who created you. What a beautiful thing it is. And we invite you today to make that decision, to submit to him. Maybe you, you've done that, but your life since then, or in recent days perhaps, has been one of rebellion against him once again. You've gone back to the way you used to live prior to your baptism and you want to come back to him today. We invite you to come back if you need to do that. Let's stand. Let's sing this song.